Hello, hello. Welcome to Tassiography. I'm your host in the wilderness, River Kenna, and today I am talking to Bex slash Embryosophy about her tweet, actually her Twitter bio, free your ass and your mind will follow. Today's episode is sponsored by Bones. They hold you up and let you move. Bones. Let's get started. And we'll just start off right here with Bex. So, hello. Welcome. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I am perfectly fine enough. Good enough today. <laughs> yeah. 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 And we're here to talk about your Twitter bio, which I have, it's weirdly stuck with me. I've like never quoted it a bunch or like consciously thought about it a ton. But it comes up a lot when I'm doing, especially like, physiotherapy stuff for my hands. Right on. And yeah, your phrase is free your ass and your mind will follow. <laughs> Love it. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Do you just want to tell me what that means to you, where it comes from, anything about it? You know, it started as like a lot of things as kind of a shit post. It's an inversion of a funkadelic song, an album, free your mind and your ass will follow. And so I just kind of blurted it out in tweet space one day and as a tweet and then changed it to my bio because it's both kind of silly and crass, which is kind of a way I like to be on, on Twitter. And, but it's also really resonant with what I'm doing. It's sort of, you know, arose as a silly thing. And the more I've thought about it too, the more I like, I think about it all the time now. And like a lot of, like a lot of the things I'm interested in, it kind of arose as a funny accident. And now I'm like, oh, oh, and <laughs> investigating it in my life in more detail. So that's kind of a nice way to be surprised. And so I imagine this whole time we'll dig into what it is, but I've been trying to, in preparation for this, find something pissy about what it means to me. And it's something like, uh, don't think or try so hard, like move around and see what happens. And that how well or clearly or coherently we think is non-separate from movement, not from how well we execute movement necessarily. I don't think it's a thing we can necessarily notice from the outside, but that to think better and more coherently, we have to move and explore our bodies. Yeah. So in particular, the first bit kind of, I don't know, asks a question for me around like, okay, free your ass. How so? What are we doing? <laughs> and yeah, I'm curious, like just as far as like, directing play where would you kind of direct someone just dipping in here to start playing around with that well there's sort of the specificity of the of the quote free your ass which for me has been a long sort of lifelong journey that i am very much still on some of which is about like growing up doing ballet and a lot of kinds of dance but ballet and me literally untraining that which is a great metaphor for also for my movement from 
dance into somatics and learning to untrain that things need to look a certain way and that I have to hammer myself into that shape versus letting shapes arise from the inside out because of what I'm feeling or exploring. So that's a very granular interpretation of it. And some of it has been me studying African dance and Haitian dance and forms that are like more pelvically free and and the changes that has brought in my movement and back pain and knee pain. And then in a more general way, like, so that might mean go to the club and shake your ass. <laughs> I would, that's advice I'd be comfortable giving to a lot of people or put on some music in your home and dance if you're not comfortable. And notice when your self-conscious mind arises. It happens to me too as a lifelong dancer. And to, to kind of let that be, it's going to come up taking a class or something, or even at the club, it might possibly come up more for people. Let go of a mind that is comparing yourself to others or saying you're not doing it right. Maybe close your eyes, maybe get stoned, maybe do it when you're sleepy or something and, and move around, explore your body. Don't worry about what it looks like. I'd say that's the more sort of general way. So I would recommend to everyone finding ways to also like remobilize stuck pelvises. <laughs> so they're sort of like related, but but like somewhat separate instructions. And it could look like lying still. It could look like lying relatively still on the ground too and exploring your inner space. So I can define movement in a lot of ways. Yeah, just listening to that, it was striking how like, there's a lot of overlap between what you just said, basically around the word free, like what are you freeing yourself from? A lot of this stuckness and these preconceptions and these embodied habits of like how you're supposed to move, how you're supposed to hold yourself and supposed to be. That is something that comes up a ton in like my somatic resonance course and people I work with and stuff. Like what stories are you holding in your body that you probably shouldn't be holding in your body? And yeah, I just want to zoom in a little further on that first word, like free from what, what are like things that you see people fairly commonly like freeing themselves from or needing to free themselves from? Good question. I love what you just brought up around stories because I want to find a really broad, kind of want to go broad and then get more detailed. I think in an overarching way, we're learning to free ourselves from the stories that keep us stuck or trapped. And that I could translate that as also talking about working with trauma. I don't always use that language because it can get really fraught. And I also don't think I'm, I'm not at a place in my career where I'm working directly therapeutically with those kinds of incredibly ingrained stories though they are going to come up when we start moving our bodies and breathing. So I do have tools to address them when they arise. I, let's say I'm not going in super directly unless a client or student asks. And then I might, so now I'm kind of talking about the business side, then I might weigh whether that's like appropriate or not in, in my station or what I'm trying to do. So that's sort of an, ex let's say an extreme example or a, a recoding of what stories mean, because I think the word stories is 
that might make a lot of sense for a lot of people working in somatics already. But to someone who's newer, that might seem kind of vague. So it, it means something like, to me, like the unconscious stories we've been telling ourselves as we've adapted and grown and learned our whole lives. So it's related to identity and, and unsticking them can be scary, but, but I think that's what we're getting free from. That's what I want to get free from and what my goal is to, to support people in getting free from in their movement practices. And what happens when we get free from our, our stories, especially the unconsciously held ones, and the, the movement patterns that are, arise from those stories, the movement habits, some habits are good, but when we blow open the choice uh, to do something new, I find there's a cascade. There might be difficulty. There might be challenges. Sometimes it's harder to start noticing a pattern we might want to change before we can change it. I'm going to say in scare quotes, quotes successfully, but, but freeing ourselves from stories we may not have even known we had opens up the choice to be in new ways to learn and grow and develop and to change where we want to. I'm finding the question that's coming up is something around, yeah, zooming in on more specificity for me. I'm noticing that like the phrase free your ass and your mind will follow means something to me fairly different from free your shoulders and your mind will follow, free your spine and your mind will follow. So A, I just like, yeah, to know if that, from your face, it looked like that kind of struck something for you as well. <laughs> and yeah, I'm curious what that brings up and if there are any particular like body areas, movement patterns, et cetera, that really jump out to you as like worth unsticking from. Yeah, no, that's a, that is a really great question. I mean, personally, I have experienced that if I free up my shoulders, my mind follows and I more and more can notice in my life direct relationships between where I'm holding tension and needing to take a break and investigate or dispel that tension as best as I can to then whether I'm returning to my desk to be productive or returning to a relationship where I want to be more present or open or something. Or, or if I want to cook my dinner and not be distracted by something, like so, so I do notice that in in any part of me that's holding tension, I I am pretty. It's a comfortable place for me to notice how it's affecting me, and there's something about freeing your ass that's more. It's potentially sexual, not necessarily just. But there's something more about, I like that there might be some cultural taboos to buck there. I like that it's, there's a kind of inversion between head and tail, which is a thing I work with in somatics. And then, but a thing that I notice I'm often doing on Twitter, like how can we turn things on their heads to get a new perspective? Maybe that means actually headstanding, but maybe that means in, inverting ideas or inverting uh, the way we thought we knew things. So there is something there in ass being about like tail. And now I'm getting into 
trying to decide how much, how, how detailed to get, but I'm. Go off. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the encouragement. I, I work with my spine and teach from the spine a lot because I'm a somatics teacher, but also a yoga teacher. And so there's also something about finding spine as a columnal center. And then about the importance of the part of my spine that is supporting my head and in a way sort of in the very center of my head, the top of our spines are, could be named as one of the central structures, sort of right underneath the bases of our skulls, behind our soft palates. It's a really potent place. And can I redirect my attention to my tail as a a perfect mirror of that place in my head. Maybe perfect mirror sounds too ideal or something. But what is it like to to invert things and get disoriented and see them from a completely different side? And then to go back to the cultural taboos I was talking about, I think a lot, I think that we have back pain in our culture for a lot of reasons related to sitting in chairs and sedentarism. And because we're not taught that as I said earlier, we're not taught like we are in, like people are in some other cultures to free up their pelvises, but it's okay to let your pelvis move. So even though I said sexual earlier, it doesn't always have to be that way. But I think there's a lot of unconscious confusion about how free we are in our bodies and whether or not that's sexual. I do think sexual energy gets freed up, but I think the prohibition is damaging and still really pervasive. Yeah, there's something I find myself the past couple of years increasingly like annoyed with the chakra people because <laughs> they often seem to be fairly correct about general body regions for me. <laughs> and one of those things is, yeah, like the hip area, the sacral chakra, just this whole general like stiff hip thing does seem connected in a lot of ways to, yeah, not just tamped down and like constricted sexual energy, but like creative energy or like eros in a fairly like more of a Berbea sense of just, yes, totally. eros, your drive towards life. Yeah, I guess less of like the Freudian libido and more of the Jungian libido, the thing that drives your energy through life, part of which is sexual, that's there. But it's so much more and there's a lot more in there and that does seem to me much more like connected to and con constricted by stiff hips than, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, free your shoulders and your mind will follow. There's a different like tone or timbre there for me. It's not as much of that like loose swinging feral thing going on. Mm. And yeah, I don't know. There's something about the way that different stories tend to get locked in different areas of the body in particular cultures. It's yeah. just endlessly fascinating to me. No, it is to me too. And I, I agree with you. I appreciate the distinction you just made, like about, about a sort of broader sense of what Eros is. Cause that's what I'm saying too. It's not, not sexual, but it's so much more or sexual is so much more than we think it is or something. And now I want to like, I want to tell people to shimmy or something so they can free up their shoulders <laughs> in a like wilder way than, <laughs> than just massaging them. Probably I should shimmy more too. I should take my own advice as I say this. Um, and I, I hear you. I'm also in sort of my anti-chakra phase 
I used to do it for like five years or something. I taught a like chakra yoga class, which, which was sort of a yin and restorative yoga with a chakra focus each week. And I loved it. And it was very Jungian. And, and then I just, I got so tired of it. I felt like it was too prescriptive. And I hear what you're saying. And I'm sometimes annoyed that it is prescriptive in a way that still makes sense. I, I think really my problem with it more is if we get stuck in the imagery of it, which I see a lot of people doing, saw myself doing a little and definitely saw my students doing. If we get stuck in, in it only being about certain energies in certain areas where I don't know, probably very few people know how the chakras were used historically. I don't believe they were used the way they are today, though they're a beautiful system. They're the thing that like drew me into yoga over 20 years ago. I got kind of into yoga because of the esoteric anatomy and like the arcane body maps of it first. That was what attracted me. So it was beautiful in that way. And I have heard support for using the chakras, not in saying like, well, this part of your body always holds this energy or this part always holds this what if I invited different energy to different places? What would that feel like? So starting from a, a more, I would say, open place. And as I've done more embodied research into my endocrine system, where I distinctly went looking, went in not looking for chakras, because in the somatic modality I study and work with, not everyone, but a lot of people kind of gets, get very collapse the experience into chakras very quickly. I have observed this and I went in saying, I am not going to do that. I want to, my project is letting my tissues and cells talk to me without letting my ideas get in the way. That's for your ass and your mind will follow. And so going in with that project, suddenly fucking beautiful, cymatic, like pulsating, multi-dimensional orbs started arising from my experience of my endocrine glands where I was kind of like, well, fuck. (laughs) 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 And, and so I don't think that, but I also don't think that having had that experience and being like, oh, wow, I can see how the long history of chakras and all the different things they have meant to different people in different cultures. I can so see how this arose our bodies are all different and they are similar in certain ways. And I still don't have to, I can still go in with more openness about what it needs to mean. And, and that is my beef with chakras. <laughs> yeah. Fully on your side on this one. The, <laughs> I'm pretty similar with chakras and with dream work. I have basically the same attitude towards both of them where like, Anything where you're looking at like the dictionary of symbols in your dreams or the which essential oil is going to unlock your heart chakra. Anytime you're taking this like top down, I'm going to put my models and my things onto the dream, onto the body energy, whatever it is. That never, I mean, it can have effects and be fun, but it mostly just makes the ego feel more in control basically and doesn't really get to the heart of whatever's actually going on. But when you kind of flip it and yeah, go in, I like you said, prescriptive, they're too prescriptive. I've found them most useful descriptively where like I'm exploring in my body. I find, oh, wow, it feels like there's a 
thrashing bag of eels in my like <laughs> the bowl of my hips for some reason. What's going on there? And then five days later, it clicks like all of the life issues surrounding that and all the imagery coming up from it is like, oh, yeah, that's clearly like what they meant when they're talking about the sacral chakra. Why were they talking about it like a little orange orb? It's a thrashing bag of eels right now. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that attitude of self-exploration, of actually going in and letting things be what they're going to be without your models on top of them. Yeah. I mean, so I, I, models are super helpful. And like, mm -hmm. so the my sort of main teacher and mentor, Amy Matthews, always goes into teaching anatomy with Korzybski's aphorism, the map is not the territory, which I, my appreciation for that approach continues to blossom infinitely, even after working with her for about 10 years. And so, so I bring that aphorism up, the map is not the territory, because we the chakras are a way in. And I tend to use Western anatomy more and sort of bleeding edge embodied cognitive science and systems theory and ecological psychology. So a frame helps. And that I would even say a frame, a frame could be going in with a certain idea or story or map. Here's what a muscle looks like. Here's some of the, even the microchemistry of what a muscle and connective tissue and your nervous system does when it condenses or expands, people will say con contracts or lengthens. But what does that feel like? Can I, can I go in with that imagery? Can I go in with the imagery of a yoga pose, of a shape to make so that I have somewhere to start? But can I, can I then abandon that when it becomes appropriate? That's the tension that is very juicy for me and tends to be how I work with myself, but with teaching others and with ideas, I'm always looking to be more, more meta to like hold a thing dearly and lightly at the same time. Yeah. Well, you just said about like, how can you go in with that and then abandon it at the right moment? That feels like the move in so many things in so many areas i had another one of these talks with michael ashcroft and it seems like that would also be really applicable to a lot of alexander technique stuff is like yes we're going to give you these ideas to go in with and play with can you surrender those can you abandon those and just like be there with what it is yeah it's very hard i mean open I... awareness stuff <laughs> yeah yeah i think that's so important and it, it also bears resonance with going in with whatever stories I have. I can't not. And I more than believe that we come into this world not as a blank slate, that everything we have been growing about ourselves and everything we experience from conception informs who we are. And it's a process of kind of pruning and honing and then reevaluating and finding new pathways our entire lives. But we, like, I don't believe we ever come from a, start from blankness. I suppose I could, I could also like take a Buddhist tack and make some kind of emptiness argument, but I actually think that means something different than I'm saying. So it means more I'm always contextual and never 
separate from anything else happening to me, which actually is kind of <laughs> what I'm trying to say. So we have stories, we have a kind of framework coming in with, and what is it like to hold that dearly and say, I have these stories for good reason. They were adaptable at a certain time. And and where's the little bit of space where I can open them up and and change them when it is appropriate and when I want to? Yep. <laughs> There's about four tangents I want to take there, but I will refrain. The fantasy of story zero is near and dear to a lot of annoyances I have. <laughs> I love that. I'm probably going to adopt the term story zero. You just don't have story zero. It's not a thing. <laughs> There's always some story, including the story that you're telling yourself of, oh, I can reach the state of no story where there is nothing. And okay, yeah, that's also a story that you are imposing over the rest of your experience. <laughs> it's still Thank vain. you. Thank you. <laughs> but yes, I will not dive headfirst into that. I will instead continue on to one of my favorite questions here, the near enemies question. So is there anything that kind of looks like and resembles this idea of free your ass and your mind will follow? that just isn't quite there, that's slightly off from that? Well, this preparing this question has brought up a lot of things. But now, here with you now, I feel like we just address that in such a pithy way that a near enemy is mistaking, like holding a story lightly so I have more choices about how I am in the world as meaning stories are bad. Instead of meaning, can I be big enough, expansive enough, meta enough that I can have my stories and hone them and refine them and not completely problematize them because I don't believe it's possible to not have them. And I think a little bit like you were saying before, the pro problematization of having any stories at all is a big place to get stuck. And it's a big trap. I, I think other near enemies would be something like, I imagine you have a lot of thoughts about this too, but that the word somatics is, is starting to have its day. So I see it slapped on a lot of things and I fear the dilution of it. And so, and in some ways then having that dilution to, come up against is making me more clear about what I'm doing. Yeah, that definitely resonates. I'm finding, I'm also finding a lot of clarity from having to wrestle with a lot of the nervous system stuff going around. I'm like, this isn't the tone. Something about the tone of a lot of this is quite off and I need to clarify why it's a little different here. Because not all of it is totally off, but the do tone you mean, is so often the like self-objectifying thing of just how do you hack your body to do what your glorious mind wants it to do or to be more comfortable or whatever. Yeah. Do you mean some of the modalities that are extremely like nervous system centric to the exclusion of other body systems or ways in? Yeah, there's a thing I'm seeing where like for a lot of years 
the mindset was like, you are your brain and everything else is just the car that you're driving around in, in your brain. Ugh, I hate it so much. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. there's a, a fairly significant section of the like nervous system community, I guess we'll call it, that mm -hmm. seems to have taken that mindset and directly ported it over to like, okay, that was wrong because we missed a handful of neurons. So you are your brain plus all the other neurons it's connected to driving around this meat suit. I'm yes. like, that wasn't quite the correction I was looking for, guys. No, I mean, this is, in some ways, like the discussion can be so impoverished. I'm excited that it is even mm. that much more expanded, but I well, agree yeah. the same like dualistic, weird, like operator in a vehicle metaphor that is certainly what I am trying to turn on its head with free your ass and your mind will follow the like the ego illusion of control that is so pervasive so so pervasive and so frankly incorrect it's it's not how our body minds are yeah i have a feeling we could both go on forever there's a lot to say on that one to be perfect. I know I'm watching the time and someday we'll, we'll have to talk about that anyway. Yeah, we'll have to dive into a couple more of these at some point. I would love that. Yeah. yeah, any other Yeah, any other of these questions that I didn't ask that you think you've got a good response to that you like or just anything else that you feel like you didn't get to say? Oh gosh. Well, so I would say, like, we talked about near enemies. My maybe far enemies would be, so rationalism and the mind-body dualism that is part and parcel of that ideology. In some ways, I use the tools of rationalism to get to an irrational place. Like, I'm very invested in using correct anatomy, as correct as one can be at any given time, because something, something, 50% of science and medical science is disproven every 10 years. We just don't know which 50%. So holding it lightly, I love the body maps of anatomy. I love getting detailed. I love knowing the names. I read about and talk to scientists. And then I'm like, oh, cool. Can I feel that in my body? Like that's the research. And that just, that's my way in. And there's a tension for me in the rationalist basis of anatomy of Cartesian body-mind duality that sort of necessarily had to develop because of dissection in the Catholic Church a long time ago. And then being stuck in that frame instead of using it. So that that is resonant with a lot of what we said earlier. How can I go in from that place? Because that is a juicy place for me. It underpins our culture. But how can I not get stuck. It's like using the poison as medicine. And so the ideas I find that pair well with it are, are, are the ways in which sort of, I would say science is kind of merging with spirituality and rediscovering itself as like systems theory as embodied in ecological cognitive models and, um, and chaos theory and then the kind of the, the generative emergence we see coming out of complex systems in systems theory and in chaos theory. 
I, our bodies are described pretty perfectly in those community models, I'm going to call it. Like I, right now I'm coming from this place of, I am an emergent property of all of my cells and they don't necessarily even need to know that. And what is that like? <laughs> mm. So yeah. that's where I'm at now. Yeah. And just to reflect a thing I'm hearing there, like how you, there's some resonance in how you talked earlier about like, yeah, going directly into the body and noticing what is coming up, what comes out of it, what is actually the thing going on there. And then also these things like systems theory, complexity, chaos, that also are much more about like, okay, let all, don't try to control the chaos and pin things down and make them make sense. Let them run amok, let them run wild and do whatever they're going to do. And then be aware and be present with whatever comes out of that. So yeah, it seems like there's this, definitely the same mental environment or body-mind environment coming out of both of those things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it affects how I am in the world. I feel a little more poised to, not always, but to flow with things when I can. Feel that. All right. We'll wrap it up there. Thanks for coming in today, Bex. Thanks so much, River. This was so fun. And that's today's episode. Free your ass and your mind will follow. If you want to know more about Bex, you can find her Twitter and her website in the show notes, along with some of my own links that you can use to support Tassiography and all the other general work I do. There's a lot of it. <laughs>